Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. My name's Steve Mackey. I'm the owner-pharmacist at Spruce Mountain Pharmacy in Jay. We're in the western mountains of Maine. We're about an hour and a half northwest of Portland. We're a hybrid pharmacy, so we're offering traditional retail pharmacy services plus compounding. We're using the computer RX software here to make us kind of unique in the market. We use the uh, RX Safe Rapid Pack script packaging program and hardware to make compliance packaging available for our patients who choose to have that as a service that we offer. When we brought the Rapid Pack pill packer into the system, we brought that in the same time we moved to the new building. And I remember seeing the machine roll in and I was over the moon. I'm like, oh my gosh, the pill packing machine is here. I am so excited for this. That pill packing system has been a growth point of my pharmacy. To learn more about how the RX Safe Rapid Pack system can help improve your pharmacy's efficiency and revenue, visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is the PGX for Pharmacists podcast. We believe pharmacists are the best positioned providers to lead in PGX. Pharmacogenomics is the study of how genes affect a person's response to drugs. This relatively new field combines pharmacology and genomics to develop effective, safe medications and doses that will be tailored to a person's genetic makeup. This podcast is dedicated to pharmacists with an interest in learning more about the data analytics, industry trends, and evidence-based usage of pharmacogenomics. Welcome to PGX for Pharmacists, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I could not be more excited. I can't believe what's taking place in the shaping and the transformation of our pharmacy industry led by pharmacists not sitting on the sidelines and really taking control of different facets of how their role is transforming. And one of the most important roles 
is that diagnostic role embedded into the science of pharmacogenomics. I am proud to announce the PGX for Pharmacists, led by Dr. Becky Winslow, has been awarded uh, top 20 podcasts by a London-based publication, Welp Magazine. And we are so thrilled to have this kind of attention and the quality that Dr. Winslow drives um, we have a special guest returning who uh, has become one of my favorites to listen to, Dr. Dave Hurley. And with that, I'm turning this show over to its rightful uh, host, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Becky Winslow. Thanks so much and congratulations, Becky. Wow. Thanks. Thanks so much, Todd. Um, I, like I posted recently, <laughs> I was speechless momentarily <laughs> when I found out that um, we had been recognized, uh, the PGX for Pharmacists podcast has been recognized in the top 20 genomics podcast by Wilk Magazine. Um, you know, me being um, somewhat competitive, but wanting to know who else was in the list, I looked to see, and I couldn't have been more thrilled to be surrounded by the other genomics podcasts and um, National Institutes of Health and, and such. So thanks so much for the opportunity and, you know, I just hope that I'm giving back um, and that, you know, that's my main goal is to give back to educate and advocate for pharmacogenomics through this podcast and to inspire pharmacists um, and others to advocate for pharmacogenomics and, and, you know, maybe provide them some ideas about how they can do so. So again, Let's jump in to the, today's episode. And as you mentioned, we've got a returning guest by high, uh, high demand. Uh, Dr. Dave Hurley is joining us again today. This is going to be our third in a series in our series of podcast episodes about implementing pharmacogenomics into the education of PharmD students. Um, the last two episodes with Dr. Hurley have gotten a lot of attention. People love what he's saying and they want to know more. So we're going to look at today, Dr. Hurley is going to share with us um, how those interested faculty could start a program for PGX education at their own school. Um, and he's going to give us some tips. He's going to give us some methods and hopefully some inspiration. So today, uh, let me introduce you again to Dr. David Hurley, and he is going to jump in and he's gonna start sharing with us. Okay, well, thank you, Becky. Thank you for inviting me to present, and let me add my congratulations to you for the top 20 ranking by Welp Magazine. I know it's a good deal, and it certainly shows us that things are happening in the right direction. Now, as we've talked about over the past two episodes, all the PharmD students at Gatton College of Pharmacy receive a free pharmacogenomics profile and training in their first semester. First, the students collect their cheek swabs at a group lab session in August so they can be processed during the semester. Then they get about 14 hours of classroom lectures on the basics of molecular biology and pharmacogenomics in my biochemistry course during October. And then finally, there's a second lab for a so-called reveal party of their pharmacogenomic results from the one ohm right med test that occurs in November. So at the start of the semester and right after the one right med test, these students are surveyed about their attitudes about pharmacogenomic training and the role of pharmacogenomics in their education and their careers. 
thanks for reminding us about some information you pro provided us in the previous two episodes. Um, let's jump into, again, looking at how you got interested in pharmacogenomics. Well, my personal interest started from my background as a molecular endocrinologist. My research lab studied human short stature and sequenced the first compound heterozygous mutation in humans that was caused by a deficient transcription factor. Working on this project with several students and technicians and graduate students made me realize that the theory and classroom learning that are needed are important, but everything becomes crystal clear when we see the actual results. This made me decide that to learn pharmacogenomics, pharmacy students should be able to see their actual pharmacogenomic test results so that then they could have the same concrete basis for their understanding. The essential idea here is to provide concrete, personalized experience for the students. By seeing their own results, students can respond to the training in ways that are not possible if they just simply listen to a didactic lecture. I've had students work in my research lab where they actually do PCR, DNA sequencing, and human short stature work. However, there's a limit to the number of students that you can put in the lab setting. By implementing pharmacogenomic testing for my entire biochemistry class, more future pharmacists can now have the concrete experience of the test itself and see the personal impact of genomics on pharmaceutical efficacy. In order to give 75 or more students these tests, the services of companies such as OneOm with their RightMed test provide the backbone for our testing. This has given me the freedom to not worry about the intricacies of the test or the sequencing itself, which is a great relief. Absolutely, David. Um, I frequently say that without a good test, what do you have? And being able to count on a reliable lab um, such as one of them to provide your guys, uh, your students with a reliable test whose results are clinically uh, valid and clinically useful is absolutely priceless. Um, so let's look a little bit more at um, the students' research and learning in a hands-on way. Um, well, maybe we should deep dive into that into another episode. Uh, is it true that each of us comes from a different motivation that creates our passion for the subject of pharmacogenomics? Let's look at that. And uh, what about the faculty who are not basic scientists or molecular biologists? How might they become involved in pharmacogenomics education? Yes, of course. Uh, pharmacogenomics is not just for hyper-caffeinated molecular biologists. <laughs> so when starting to educate students in pharmacogenomics, any interested faculty member should first clarify their own impetus for starting. For example, a clinical faculty member in pediatrics might become interested because of the importance to children of their responses to codeine that are controlled by the CYP enzymes. A pharmacist who's working with a cardiologist might want to be able to train their students in better how to proactively determine the correct dose of warfarin based on genomic analysis of CYP2C9 and VKORC. All of these things are how a practice realizes that pharmacogenomics is so important as for predictions. An oncologist, for example, might focus on the genomics of breast cancer patients and how that affects their treatments with either tamoxifen or trazuzumab or any of these other drugs that have become so important for the molecular oncologist. The message here is simply to find your own individual motivation for pharmacogenomics and that use that as your starting point. The more avenues to learning, the better the learning will be. 
I think it's also important at this point to say that finding other faculty with interest in pharmacogenomics can add a great deal of momentum to the building of any program. Your colleagues will have their own insights, and there may be new colleagues in other departments or colleges who want to participate. Letting faculty know about how they can contribute with shared interests and plans will provide new ideas and topics for any training plan as it develops. I couldn't agree with you more, David. As a matter of fact, that's how we met, right? Um, yes. you, yeah, I mean, that's how we met was um, two individuals highly interested in pharmacogenomics that reached out to each other and look where we are today. <laughs> you know, I, I would have never guessed when, when we met um, over a year ago that we'd be here today on the podcast doing our third episode. So, um, you know, finding other faculty can certainly encourage and lead to an interprofessional emphasis for a PGX program. Um, combining pharmacists with physicians or public health faculty can lead to interesting cross-fertilization. Do you have any other ideas for how faculty um, might prepare for building a program? Well, yes, I've got one more thing to add. I suggest that everyone try to attend at least one pharmacogenomic workshop or training session or continuing education course. These are all readily available and will give you the important tools that have a place in your curriculum. These courses typically cover a wide range of material, some of which may be outside your specialty, but give you important background that's useful there. These courses also allow you to see how others present pharmacogenomics lectures and sessions, which is an invaluable tool for deciding how you want to make your own presentations work. There are many courses to choose from, and each has unique aspects. I went for the so-called smorgasbord plan, where I attended four different courses, and I thank my dean, Debbie Bird, for providing the funds for that. The four courses I went to were, first, the University of Colorado Pharmacy course that's online with Dr. Christine Aquilanti. I then took the Test to Learn course with its valuable additional trainer certification session that's led by Dr. Phil Empey at the University of Pittsburgh and is also sponsored by the NACDS. Thirdly, I took the Precision Medicine Academy online training that's put up by Dr. Jeanette McCarthy. And finally, I went to the Pharmacogenomics Annual Meeting sponsored by the University of Florida. There are, of course, other courses available, and I want to mention particularly the RX Genomic course with Dr. David Kaiser at Manchester University, the Farm Gen Ed program with Dr. Grace Kuhl at University of California, San Diego, and some other courses that are available through pharmacy groups such as CPNP and AACP. What is so stimulating to me to amplify what you just said, this training allowed me to make the contacts where so many people are sharing their enthusiasm about this material. That network of contacts has led me to valuable conversations that continue through today. For example, when you need a boost to get through a tough spot, when you need somebody to give you a little bit of cheering up when the world doesn't seem to be going the right way, it's nice to have someone to call who will listen to you. And sometimes it's nice to call someone and get a spot on their podcast. <laughs> Thanks for that uh, little plug there, David. It's absolutely true. You know, motivation alone is only the beginning. How many people, you know, say I'm motivated to start this new uh, branch in my career or I'm going to learn something new? Um, the But you have to have that um, 
education to solidify um, your knowledge level so that you can build what you want to build. Um, so that's critical to um, a program developer building the confidence to build the program and also to teach students. Um, it's also valuable that such training courses continue to increase in number all the time. Um, so let's just move past the training that you got and tell us how you continue to build your confidence. Um, what came next? Well, for me, what came next was I went back to the fact that I wanted the students to be able to see their personal results. So I made it a priority that I had to be able to get every student a pharmacogenomic test kit. And I wanted the kits to be free to the students so that costs would not influence their participation. So this step therefore became find the money to cover the expenses of the program, at least for a trial period to show that everyone was going to be happy with it. I didn't have to find the funds to cover my time in teaching because I'm assigned to teach that course anyway, but I did have to find the funds for the kits that I used in the first year as my proof of concept. So I submitted and was awarded a internal university grant for the funds to cover the cost of this testing. Finding this funding for any program is always critical to development. Funding is always difficult to find, but there are so many ways now that you can apply for pharmacogenomics training because of the diverse ways that you can approach it. You can put it as an educational grant, which is common at many institutions now. And so you can stress the novelty of pharmacogenomic training to make it a more compelling application. Following the student impact through pre and post testing surveys, as we've discussed in the previous episode, using this can be a way to submit a research-oriented application if these are more appropriate for the funding agency to which you apply. Finally, it's always possible to search for other institutional resources or external foundations who have interest in novel programs that can be approached. As with any funding search, it's always critically important to talk to the administrators of the program about their interests. Let them tell you what their preferences are. Are they looking for something for students or are they not? This kind of pre-screening of foundations and administrators will allow you to align your application with the goals that they have said to you and therefore increase your chances of success when you submit your application. Wow the money discussion comes up. It's necessary, absolutely necessary. The show me the money conversation and how to justify why you need that money. Um, you know, I tell people often that, you know, as a clinician, uh, when I first graduated, I didn't think about who was paying for services and products, but um, in my, work experience, I've become acutely aware that if we don't have funding, then we don't have products and services. So you've shared with us um, tips for getting funding. Um, you went over with us uh, your training and you discussed your motivation. So tell us, what's your next step? Well, the next step is actually to look at two final steps. First, I had to find a pharmacogenomics testing kit that would be usable for 75 students. And secondly, I had to determine how to fit the training in my current biochemistry curriculum into the 
pharmacogenomics work that we were doing at the Gatton College of Pharmacy. The fit to the curriculum was simple for me because I have the pleasure of coordinating the entire biochemistry course and teaching all the lectures. So all I had to do was convince myself that I would move into giving more lectures on pharmacogenomics. And I worked with my faculty colleagues, Sam Herfarouche and Victoria Palau, to allow me to have a little time in the first year lab for the testing sessions. And so this all fit together. Other places may have different, different aspects that are gonna be a little more difficult to deal with as you put this into the curriculum and that will depend on the institution. It may take a little bit more wrangling to insert pharmacogenomics into the curriculum, but having a large faculty buy-in is always important. Now back to that testing kit problem. In the first year, I used a non-commercial source for my testing kits, but I realized that there is real value in having a company to handle the process. After searching around, I found one ohm and their right med test of 27 genes, which seemed perfect. And as of today, I've just set up our third year of using these right med test kits. I'm delighted to build up a relationship with this company, which is extremely motivated and have worked with several representatives who have participated with me on this over time. Of course, as you all know, there are going to be advantages and alternatives that are different for different institutions and programs. For example, if your clinician is already using a specific pharmacogenomic test for your patients, and kudos to you, then you would probably want to use that test for your students. It may be logical or region, there may be local or regional pharmacies that ex have experience with other specific tests, and those would, of course, be the obvious choice. And in the end, it's always better to consider many choices to find the one that best fits in with your plans. You're absolutely correct, David. There are a lot of um, PGX uh, laboratories. There's a lot of PGX tests out on the market. And, you know, knowing how to discern one test from the other is critical as far as clinical validity, clinical utility goes. But I'll tell you another um, discernment that I look at is, um, is that lab and is that, and, and they're, services that they offer, are they pharmacist friendly? Um, especially when I'm working with pharmacists on implementing PGX. So you're absolutely correct. Like identifying um, vendors that want to promote pharmacogenomics education, um, who, who recognize the value of PharmDs in pharmacogenomics is, is absolutely another layer that just makes this process um, run smoother and it sounds like um, having that relationship with uh, one ohm certainly helped foster the success uh, for your program at Gatton. Can you elaborate on that anymore? Well, one thing that's been particularly enlightening about one ohm is the eagerness with which they've helped me adopt and use these kits. Every time I needed information, they were there for me. When I discuss things about writing the contracts, getting permission, doing all the administrative work that we know takes up much more time than it should, they were very helpful with that. And then finally, the first year that we did this, there were two different one-on-one representatives who actually came to our so-called reveal party in November where the students looked at their pharmacogenomic profiles. And those two representatives, Lori Borchers and Julie Hessick, who's a pharmacist herself, they came down and actually interacted with the students. I think the students probably wore them out. It was six 
thousands of questions, <laughs> but they had a lot of fun. And I, I think that that helped the pharmacy, the one of them representatives understand a little bit about what mm -hmm. students are seeing that they might not have thought of before. Mm -hmm. So in this sense, one of them and their new representative that I have now, John May, they're working great to help me make this into the program that can really set the stage for how to make pharmacy students learn about pharmacogenomics. So what I hear you saying, David, is um, what I'm actually, is this a two-way street? They are, are benefiting from being able to be in there and hear what students need um, and, and that they are, they want it to succeed. They recognize the value in pharmacists having this education. So, um, I mean, that is priceless. That is priceless that you have that relationship. And um, I, it, I've been in the industry for nearly eight years now. And, um, you know, the question is always, who is your target client? Um, who will appreciate who can we target to implement pharmacogenomics? And I think that um, PharmDs are not, they're not always at the top of the list, but they're such a great opportunity. Um, and so the fact that you've been able to partner with a lab that embraces um, PharmDs and, and wants to help you make it successful is, you know, like I said, is priceless. So we're going to have to wrap up this episode. There's always so much information I want to share in each episode, but we want to keep it uh, to a time frame that's user-friendly for our audience. Um, I know we both hope that some of these tips will be useless, uh, useful for our listeners. Um, and I want to emphasize how strongly we agree that PGX should be a part of every pharmacist training. It's important to point out again that your program has been in place for four years now, and it's trained over 200 PharmDs at Gatton. And those pharmacists, they're gonna be practicing soon. And I can just say from the students that I've had um, through API programs that they don't forget, they don't forget pharmacogenomics. So, you know, those those students that you're training, they're they're getting ready to <laughs> be unleashed on the world and, and take that pharmacogenomics education with them. So thank you so much, David, for your work in advocating for pharmacogenomics and and educating these students and you know building that framework for them to take pharmacogenomics into their careers. And thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. Is there anything you'd like to close with, David? Well, I'd just like to say that I'm very proud that Gatton is now a College of Pharmacy. This is the first school that I believe has all four years of its students knowing their full pharmacogenomic profiles for free. This is a unique accomplishment for pharmacy school. And our school only started less than 15 years ago. So the visibility for the program that results from this type of educational aspect is gaining more and more attention to other people. We've actually had 10 alumni write back to the college saying, hey, why wasn't this in place when I was attending the college? Which was a hard answer to write. <laughs> it's my hope that we can pass this on to more pharmacy schools every day and try to make this a part of every pharmacist's education so that we do reach that tipping point where pharmacists take over pharmacogenomics and use it for the betterment of their patient. So to close, 
Thanks, Becky, for hoping this out episode. If anyone has any questions, please email me at any time at hurleyd at etsu.edu for more information. And thanks very much. Thank you again, David. And we look forward to you joining us on future episodes. We have more information to present. Have a good afternoon, everybody. Hey there, PGX for Pharmacist listeners. We want to give you a shout out for what you're doing in healthcare and how you're helping communities all across the nation. You can help us. Please share these episodes with other pharmacists, other administrators, other physicians out there uh, who are interested in understanding pharmacogenomics. Uh, it's still in its infancy in many ways, and we have to just get more information out to the uh, powers that be. And I believe that, as we all do, that pharmacogenomics should be in the hands and the tool bag of every pharmacist across the nation and those pharmacists who are really pushing and innovating our healthcare system overall. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And uh, anything that we can do for you, please reach out to the publication. Go to any of the social media outlets and go to at Pharmacy Podcast. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for your interest in PGX and for spending some time with us. Please share this podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For all of our episodes, please visit pgx4rx.com. That's pgx4rx.com.